All right, everybody, we're back. This is episode number 52 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. We're joined today by Chris Bates, who's been gracious enough to donate of his time and energy. And Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. I, I'm so glad to be here, guys. Really honored to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, look, we really do appreciate it. I, mean, I know that it's not, you know. Not everybody wants to give up their Sunday afternoon, but we thank you for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So it's been a minute, I think, since we've had just a, let's say, a regular person recovering from substance abuse problems. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we, we started, we were kind of giving Chris the background. You know, it's a little bit like a, a speaker meeting with questions. Mm -hmm. So... If you want to take it away, I mean, yeah. how did you? What happened? What happened? How was? What was it like? What, what was happened? It like? What it's what like, now? Like, the, now? The, the whole story. Huh? Let's do it. Well, first of all, uh, thanks a lot for for having me. Um, yeah, so uh, a mutual friend that connected us, and uh, you know, go way back. So uh, I've been excited about this. Been checking out some of the episodes, and uh, this is a, a phenomenal thing that you guys are are doing. So um, I'm glad to have become a, a subscriber and listener. And we appreciate that. And, yeah, 100%. there you go. Uh, and, and certainly uh, being a guest with you guys here today. So, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this format this morning, and I think I wanted to begin by expressing the importance of story and that and, and the value of everyone's individual story and over quite a period of time, the opportunities that I've had to tell my story in speaker meetings or, or whatever the case may be, that that's, what's important to me is that, and I've heard you guys talk about this with other guests is that maybe a thread that's pulled out of my story might, uh, you know, connect with, some part of someone's story mm -hmm. that that matters to them, gives them direction, uh, hope, as you guys say, mm -hmm. you know, one of those kind of things. So, sure. so I wanted to preface, you know, this by that. That's my, uh, you know, on the way over here, stopped and said a prayer about that. That you know, that, that's what that's what this is all about, right? A hundred percent. You know, because if the rooms weren't filled with men and women that I pulled off of their threads and still do uh, at, at, at every meeting that I go to and every story that I listen to. Uh, and, you know, that, that's the origination of this thing and, and what it's all about. So, um, so, so I wanted to, to, to preface it with that and that that's my hope out of, out of sharing this. So, uh, so again, thank you for, for having me. Um, and, you know, mine is, is a story of baseline having grown up with a a really great family here in Jackson. Uh, grew up at school here. Um, you know, I've thought back a lot over the years. Where was the, I guess, the disconnect that began to happen for me at? Um, I started using and drinking at 14, but, you know, where about that time was it that there began to be a disconnect with me being okay with me versus 
making that discovery that intoxication made me feel uh, braver, stronger, caring less about what others thought, all, all those things. Um, we, you know, we all remember how it was to be a teenager at, at that. And it's just awful. <laughs> it's just awful. And, um, and I think I had a pretty bad case of that. And so, uh, so from early on, um, I discovered that the feel good from drinking and using did something for me. And obviously I couldn't identify what that was at this point. At that point, I didn't really realize it. Um, but I do know looking back that a pattern began to develop for me around that pretty quickly. I think that it's important, and we're going to hop right back in, but I think it's important to note here in this particular, it sounds as though there was no perhaps traumatic event that triggered things. So there, while a a traumatic event can be the, the basis of, of a lot of folks in recovery, just because you don't have some sort of traumatic event or traumatic circumstances that happened in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, that that is going to be, you know, you can still have develop a, a, an addictive mind or have an addictive mind and be void of any trauma in your life. And a lot of times uh, there's been a, a few instances where I heard someone talk about in a meeting Basically saying, hey, you know, I, I, I had great parents, I had a great upbringing, but still I chose this way of life and the amount of shame that was associated after them hearing about other people having these trauma experiences in their life and, and, and that kind of being easy to identify as, well, that's why they're an alcoholic, that's why they're a drug addict. And being void of that can create a little bit of shame, a lot of shame for someone that didn't have that, but still wound up being highly addicted to substances. So for our listeners and and viewers, just because you didn't have a traumatic experience, don't beat yourself up if you wind up being an alcoholic and addict. There's no shame in that. The, The solution to that is find what works for you and, and try to, to, become at peace with who you are uh, and don't beat yourself up because you're not exactly like someone else. So yeah, jump uh, back th- in. no, very well said. And uh, you know, in, in fact, Daniel, it made it really difficult for me, uh, you know, because early on I was listening to so many people and so many of us that come to recovery and, you know, the, the, yeah, had, had a, a trauma or multiple trauma catalysts. And, and that I didn't have that. It wasn't that I didn't have some difficult things. My parents had some diff- rough years, uh, you know, in, in their marriage and some other, you know, I mean, I can, I can tie some things to some things, but you're correct. And so uh, it was kind of dangerous for me early on, Daniel, actually, because, you know, I, I would listen to so many and I was like, well, you know, I wasn't this, I wasn't that, I wasn't, you know, uh, it didn't it have abuses or traumas or those types of things. So, um, but I'll tell you what I did have. And, and again, this is hindsight and looking into those, those years of beginning my drinking and using. And again, at the time, I certainly didn't tie all this together, but I now know and can look back to both of my grandfathers were practicing or were alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Um, one of which practiced until the day that he passed away. 
and the other one who was in and out of recovery for for many years. And and I'll bring that back up in, in just a little bit while because his recovery became very instrumental in in mine. Um, you know, and, and that was really cool. So while I didn't have Daniel, those traumas or those types of things that were significant compared to a lot of people, um, you know, the, the genetic tie there and those sure. types of things, I was, I, I was, you know, treatment, prime. Tre- yeah, tre- yeah tre- <laughs> treatment folks helped me to connect those sure. dots pretty quickly and those types of things. So I was not, you know, it wasn't what you might call totally out of the blue. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I actually don't like to, in, in this opportunity to, to, say what happened, what it was like, and what it's like now, um, I, I prefer to spend the majority of, of the focus time and energy talking about the recovery part. Um, but I, I, I think some some back – I mean, you know, I, I've got some freaking awesome war stories, okay? I mean, you know, yeah. um, I, I was just having lunch with several members of my family and all that, and uh, my wife brought up what I was coming to do on the podcast, and they were asking me some questions and all that, and kind of some of the jokes came up about – the times I went to jail, you know, and, and aren't those great? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is great for family. Thanks, mom. Yeah, family lunches, right? Um, you know, yes, but, I remember the time. I yeah, I remember the time. Yeah, I got out of that one, and I didn't get out of that one, and um, you know, so uh, I, I don't want to belabor those points, but those those jail ventures, and and the car wrecks, and the you know, um, shenanigans, shenanigans. And, and, and later on, you know, that bigger stuff starting to fail out of school and failed out of college <laughs> multiple times, you know, um, bless my parents and, you know, all, all of those things. I mean, th- those, uh, somewhat more external consequences certainly happened. I think more importantly than that, when I start to look back for me, guys, it was that 14 years old till I was 23 when I got sober. Okay, so I'll, I'll go ahead and throw that out there that at 23 years old when I got sober, um, and I think um, whether it's drugs that were a faster catalyst than alcohol is by itself sometimes, or whatever the case may be. I mean, it was this concoction of things that happened that I catapulted through. Um, oh, this feels good to wait a minute when I'm intoxicated, I feel kind of okay. Right. Or, or, or I don't care one or a combination of those. Um, and, you know, and, and then began to discover that, um, you know, when I, when I get high before school every day, you know, I, then, um, I don't know. And, and it's just, you know, those patterns started to become my, my norm. And I think that's the part that, I've heard so many times in the rooms and that I can relate to is how, you know, that, that using became, um, I mean, guys, for me, it wasn't just that it was a crutch. It wasn't just, it was, it was all those things, but it was, uh, the pathway that led me to what was my normality, right? you know, for, for lots of those last several years of drinking and using. And, um, and so it became easy to start adding new chemicals to that and more to that and, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and, and experimenting in those directions and all of that stuff uh, snowballed, you know, so, so significantly. Um, and looking back, guys, 
along the way, the other kind of big set of consequence things for me was largely about relationships. Okay. So it may have been about one girlfriend relationship or another. It may have been, you know, um, even, even friendships and, um, you know, guys that, um, one in particular I'll, I'll throw out there. I had a, a, a fraternity big brother that was, um, and it's just this great guy. He was, he was two or three, two years older than me. It was really kind of mature and more of a, probably a mentor than anything else. Uh, man, and rooted for me and wanted from, you know, and, and, and tried to kind of help pull me along and all those other kind of things. And I just utterly disappointed him. And, you know, that, that was so much the case with, with my parents too. And, and my, you know, other people in my life that, um, do you remember feeling that sense of I'm disappointing them then, or in retrospect, you, you feel like you disappointed them? And that's an awesome question. You know, when I think back about it, I, I think I did feel it at that time. So, you know, Daniel was talking about shame a minute ago. So I, I think I began to realize, you know, man, I mean, at that point, you know, by 21, 22, 23 years old, I had stacked a bunch of those together. So Drew, I think I began to feel that that shame and just man, what what's wrong with me? Kind of yeah, you know, and and probably uh, again medicated that, and and it's, so it was just this the cycle cycle the cycle self defeating behavior absolutely sure. absolutely extremely self defeating behavior. But it's it's also and I have to my heart is just like say this say this say this. It is important to remember for our listeners. Our pasts, while what happened, if you're an alcoholic and addict like me, uh, you probably did some horrible, horrible things when you're in active addiction. Uh, and that's putting it just as as nicely as humanly possible. But what, what happened for me was I would, when I would get a small time of, of, of sober time under my belt, the shame associated with that, and you'll always hear me talk about shame, the, sa- the shame associated with that past would continue to keep me sick even in, in recovery. And sure. the reason through lots of therapy and being able to identify this is uh, that the, uh, the, the root of me acting on that shame was quite simply me not being able to forgive myself for what I did. And... So when you do the work that's necessary to become at peace with that past, as you say, Drew, you you say that your past becomes profitable. And I can't tell you how many times I've had a few people come over and do ice baths and uh, I helped a, a young lady set up her ice bath this morning. And that that profitability statement, it keeps popping up because it's true. When we when we sit down in recovery, whether it be faith based, twelve step, whatever, however route it is, when we sit down in that recovery and start to actively work on ourselves, our pasts become profitable because that is then something that uniquely qualifies us to be able to help someone else in the future. And what is life if we don't give back and help others? So while it's unfortunate and and oftentimes very sad about what happened in the harms that we caused, if we can become at peace with that and 
sit down fully in our recovery and, and, and suddenly we'll begin to, to not be ashamed of that past. When we can walk through recovery void of shame, our ability to be of service to other people grows exponentially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I say it, it's important to process the hard things, you know, do, you know, make, make amends where amends are, are necessary and then, and then move on and, and, and forgive yourself. If you can forgive yourself and be at peace with you and your past and also be grateful for your past because it now uniquely qualifies you to be able to help someone else, your abilities grow to be able to be of service and to be helpful to someone else grow exponentially the worse you were when you were in recovery. So for our listeners, please work on that shame. Try to forgive yourself and, and the future will work itself out if you consider, if, if you decide to, to keep doing this. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's, that's great experience there for sure. Um, so you're, you're 22, yeah. 23 ish. Yeah. You're feeling like you're letting your parents down. You're letting down your homie at the, in the fraternity house yeah. down. You're actively beginning to you're, feel a little shame. Yeah. And you're doubling down on your misery. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so thus starting to double down on, on, yeah. on the chemicals and, and, um, well, cause they you work, know. you know, they, I, do. they, they do. Well, work. and, and they did for quite a while. Yeah. Right. And, and then they kind of started to not, and, and that's, as, they they betray us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they then we're left kind of like hanging, like uh, yeah. crap. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I certainly can't look back and, and say that there weren't things that began to lead me to going. Oh man, this this isn't going well, right? You know, and and it was, um, yeah, some of the, the 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 arrests and the public drunks and the the for some other, you know, and it, it was, it was some of those things and it was, it was losing, a, um, you know, a really great girlfriend and, you know, all, all these things. Oh, that we are, we that always are... pass <laughs> very many off ramps. Oh yeah. yeah. Off very the many. interstate yeah. of addiction. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, but, um, there, there are things that I look back and remember, uh, like a, a, a night in Tuscaloosa and the short story is, you know, ended up in one of those places with lots of guns on the table and and piles of stuff in my trunk that I was transporting and all kind of stuff that got, uh, you know, it, it got past. Oh, this is funny. It it got to some real sketchy, right? You know, dark, dark, dark stuff. And um, you know, it ended up um failing out again, losing another relationship, di disappointing everybody around me again, and all that other kind of stuff. And decided that uh, what I needed to do was pack up, move. So I did. So I packed up everything I, I, I owned in a forerunner and moved to Oregon where I had some extended family. And, and guess what? They got drugs out there too. Yeah. They, they the problems they followed you. They did. Did you know that? <laughs> did you, yeah. And, um, you know, but, but guys looking back, um, I reestablished my pattern that I was running away from in about two days. Right. That's, I mean, that's I got out there impressive. and the guys that I met, and connected with and started running with were the exact, I mean, you know, right. di different, different names, right. different faces, same crowd. And, um, they like, know, they <laughs> like widespread and weed out there. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah, dude, I mean, of course this was a while back. I mean, I'm, you know, um, I, I'm, uh, I'm 54. So, you know, this was black back when, when, That's, when yeah. in Eugene, I saw a blues traveler in a room with about 200 people and they were an up and coming band. 
He was so, working that harmonica, wasn't uh, he? Yeah. So, you know, um, so anyway, you know, that, that happened. I ended up back here. Things came in. So here's, here's the cool part, uh, to me. So, um, I followed the dead on a couple of different tours at, at this point. And a guy from here that was a family friend, a few years older than me, um, I don't even remember how, because at the, in these last two or three years, I mean, I've got like, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean like hey, I don't remember a weekend. I'm talking about like <laughs> I don't remember half a year. <laughs> I know, had a year where I like, was like, like from that. from Christmas to Easter. I'm like I, I got nothing. Yeah, yeah, I got okay. nothing. And um, I assume I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I did. I think I did. Um, so, so this guy in, ends up coming to um, to meet me for a show with Deb with Bruce Hornsby playing. With them, at, uh, yeah, oh yeah, at um, uh, Palo Alto Amphitheater um, in the Bay Area. And long story short, unbeknownst to me at that time, this guy comes back here and he had a, a connection with my family, um, went to my mom and said, uh, I got to tell you, I'm really concerned about Chris. Um, and, and this was a guy that was, hmm. I, I need to ask him two or three years sober mm-hmm. at the time. Okay. Active in recovery, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Anyway. So he, he went to her and he said, and, and I probably need to tell you what's going on, but you need to be ready to hear the, the truth. And are you sure you want to hear it? And she said, yes. And she had actually kind of worked in, in an area related to the, to the field and, and, uh, in awareness and all that kind of stuff. This is kind of back in the Nancy Reagan Sure. You know, uh, um, days. So anyway, so he tells her, and the following days, guys, she had enough love for me that she sat down. And so, like, the next night I went to dinner with she and my dad. And um, I, I, I was working my dad hard, okay? Just about had him talked out of it. You know, dad, it's just, you know, man, it's just, just a phase. It's right. just me and the guys. It's, you know, all this other kind of Not stuff. No big deal. And, yeah, no big deal. And I just about had him there. And I'll never forget sitting there at dinner. And she looked at me and said, you're going to get help. And she looked at him and said, no matter what I have to do. And she was, but she meant it. She was willing to go right through anything she had to do. Um, she had court order stuff prepared. She had a, she, she meant it. She, she was, was coming right. heavy. Uh, she was yeah. coming heavy. So, um, a couple of days later, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm packed up and I'm headed to, headed to treatment. Um, so <laughs> went to primary, um, you know, they recommended extended treatment. Imagine, of course, imagine this, of course, of course. um, you know, so, so I ended up there quite a, an extended number of months, um, and didn't, didn't know that, that I needed it. Um, but I want to mention one thing here really quick. So I'm detoxing um, three or four days in. Um, I am looking at these people around me, and they were younger or older or different race or different background or different. And, bud, I, I, got, I got nothing for these folks. I mean, I know I need help. I'm lost. I'm hurting beyond hurt. Yes, I need some help, but what am I doing in this place with these people? And 
and at about the fourth or fifth day, um, physically my head's starting to clear a little bit, and I get a letter from my granddad who was around seven years sober at that point. And he had been in and out, in and out, in and out um, at, for many years, and he had been from, like, bank president to nothing and back again. And, you know, just an amazing story. And there's still a lot of people around in, in recovery these days that probably still remember him. And he, he sent me this letter, and he, he basically said, I just have one thing to, uh, to share with you. And it was encouragement for willingness. And that was it. And, you know, it wasn't you need to do this or, right. I, you know, I did it this way or whatever. It was just this encouragement to have some willingness. I didn't know how profoundly that was God at work in, in that moment. Yeah, he really zeroed in on the yeah. key. Yeah, I right. mean, yeah, he, he did. Cut the fat out. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, knew not to load the barrel with a whole bunch of stuff. You need right. to do this or whatever the case may be. It was I can't just, believe you. Blah, 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 blah. Right, right, right. Um, so that cracked the door open just a little bit. And what I, again, now know, looking in the rearview mirror, I began to relate instead of differentiate. Just a little bit. And that was not profound. That was not overnight. That was not even during that first 30 days or the next, you know, five, six months of treatment or, you know, it was, it, it just began that, that process. And, um, you know, so my sobriety day is January 27th, 92. Um, that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember several years back when I passed and, and got my 24 year chip. So I had been sober longer than I had lived before I got sober. And guys, that's, um, Man, I try to get through some of these parts talking about it without just choking up. I mean, the, the gift that my life has been in recovery is, is, is unbelievable. Um, it, it's, it's beyond miraculous and amazing in so many ways. Um, but maybe for, for some of your listeners, I'd love to sit here and say it's been a joyful, easy ride. It's been an uphill ride, um, and that would be um, that would be very far from the truth. Um, I actually, I, people that are close to me know this, but I, I talk sometimes about how I've had two significant bottoms in my life. I've bounced off the bottom a couple of times, and uh, you know, one, one we just finished talking about was was you know just before I got sober and and when I went into that treatment program, you know. But another one was at seventeen years sober. And I had, um, you know, I, I had a, gosh, a 47-employee business that, that I had, had built and um, a lot of kind of environmental things happened and a culmination of just a ton of stuff and ended up kind of needing to do a quick sell on that. And it was a really bad time and a, and a relationship that I had been in for, I, I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up. I had married and divorced after nine and a half years, um, had, uh, had a daughter, um, out of that who was, you know, the person that I got to hug right before I came over here today. And, and, uh, you know, is certainly the, the biggest miracle in my life in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I had been divorced, then dating someone, business is becoming, is coming unraveled. Um, and, and some really big, 
numbers with a lot of zeros behind them kind of stuff and, and real estate involved and all kind of stuff and, and a relationship that was going great for a number of years ended. And anyway, it's just, I could go on a long time, but it was a culmination of a whole lot of other things. Some of which, um, I can track back that, you know, I needed to do some tent stuff and, and probably kind of many four step stuff around, which, which I did that work. Um, but some of which was not of my own doing. It was, you know, life, life, yeah, life on life's terms, big time. And, uh, you know, so where, where that ended up, and I, and I wanted to share this before we move on, but that ended up um, a night that I was, I, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and just with this, this hurt. And it was not the loneliness. It was not the profound loneliness I had experienced before I got sober. But it was a it was a level of hurt about so many things. And I, I, I literally remember looking at the ceiling going, what do you want from me? What is this about? What am I supposed to be doing? And I'd love to tell you that I got some white lightning experience answer. And... And I did not. Um, but my life in recovery before that time, since that time, has so many slowly but surely stories to it about relationships, about raising my daughter, um, about a career, you know, about so many things, guys, that, how old is your daughter? Uh, she's twenty three. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I'll tell you this. So, fast forward, um, not years, but months after that moment. Okay. Uh, and and I do want to share this too. I think this is really important for especially for any listeners that are considering recovery or early in recovery or or whatever the case may be. Um, not only did I not let up on doing what it was that I needed to do, I intensified it. You know, I mean, I went back from four or five meetings a week to, uh, to, to a day and, and my, my poor sponsor. Um, and I, I hope I, I'll, I'll share this podcast with him because I, I, I want him to, and he knows how much I appreciate him. Still go to a lot of meetings with him. Um, but the, man, that poor dude, <laughs> guys, I, I wore him out, you know, and, um, you know, and a lot of it was just those 30-minute phone calls of just spill my guts and just pissed and hurt and all that other kind of stuff. And he's like, okay. Yeah, the reality call, is. Call me again tomorrow. You're you, okay. You probably helped him you know. out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, almost as much as no, he yeah, helped you. no doubt. Um, but, but, guys, I mean, so fast forward that. Again, not years, but a matter of months. Um, I'll tell this quick business story. So I was sitting there at 40 years old. Um, after I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways was, was a very successful business career and it built this, built this business and everything else. And I'm sitting there going, I got to start over, I'm starting totally over. And that was very scary. It was a lot of things and all that. Um, I had kind of an acquaintance buddy of mine going, Hey man, you did a great job with your branding on your other stuff. Can you come help me with your marketing? Four days later, I get a call from a totally different guy, unbeknownst to the other one. Hey, man, can you kind of help me with my marketing? I need some stuff. You've always done a good job of that. 
guys, these were literally God nudges that just, you know, um, so started doing that and kind of building that and then eventually had to hire a graphic designer and, you know, and, it, and it's built into what now is a 15 person agency serving clients all over the Southeast and marketing and all this other kind of stuff. And I mean that, and, and, you know, the other thing that happened around then too was, um, I connected with somebody on Facebook and I had known her kind of had some mutual friends from back in high school and our lives had tracked. I had been married. She had been married. We had, you know, all these things and literally ended up almost backdoor neighbors two different times, kind of unbeknownst to one another and all this other kind of stuff. And I'd been divorced a few years and she had been divorced a few years and we started chatting and, um, and we talked for like weeks before we ever even met, got together face to face at all. This is the Um, most polite version (laughs) of I slid in her DMs. (laughs) I did. I did. I kind of, it it was kind of, I remember it. Guys, y'all got to remember. You're looking good today. Yeah, this, this was years ago. Facebook was still fairly young. I'm not trying to age myself, but I was like, Ooh, I remember her. Yep. Click. Yeah. Message, you know that was there weren't other social media <laughs> right, right. platforms at that point. There was no you didn't snap somebody you knew whatever. Anyway, so yeah, you're right. So man, we we started talking and and now you know today we have been together 14 years, married 12 years. Um, her three kids, my daughter. Um, now you know a couple of those are married. We have three grandbabies. We have I mean guys, I I could sit here the rest of the afternoon just in gratitude speak about the, the life that I have with with her now. And um, you know, so again, my 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 career, my my married life, my, you know, um, and I've walked hand in hand with with my daughter uh and and um some of her courageous battle, you know, that that she's gone through and I get to be there for her you know, and sometimes even share some of my experience, strength and hope, you know, that, that, that's a bit relatable. And, and the last piece guys, before I hand it off, I want to say this too. Um, I, I went to, I went to a great school. I went to a Christian summer camp for like six years growing up and went back, uh, as a, as a counselor and, um, you know, grew up in church and did all these kind of things. And I, of my own choice, even in very young years, um, you know, had what I really consider a, a, a good spiritual life. And um, then I spent those years, like many of us, running as hard as I could from, from God. And those last few years of drinking and using, um, he wasn't doing anything for me, so why should I have anything for him? And became, you know, not belligerent, but just really quit caring, you know, about a spiritual indifferent. Indifferent. It wasn't a, you know, um, and and a lot of things in we agnostic that I can mm-hmm. I can relate to. It wasn't that I didn't believe. I just, eh, you know, right. And um, so, and and even for gosh, almost five years of my, my early recovery still had kind of nothing for organized religion, any of that kind of stuff. Now, um, you know, but before I even left extended treatment, I, I fully realized the, 
the absolute necessity of having a spiritual awakening of whatever that looked like and that that was core. I, I remember a guy in Hattiesburg used to say all the time, and I, I, I've shared this a bunch too, um, he used to talk about the spiritual part of the program is like the wet part of the ocean. All right. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. I don't I like think that. I don't think it's part of. I think it is the, or it has been for me. I like that a lot. Okay, and continues to be for me. But guys, my spiritual growth process um, over all of these years um, is the really, really big, amazing thing about my recovery and about my life. Um. Yeah, as I sit here and listen to you, there are there are a number of uh, ways in which our recovery lives are kind of parallel. Mm. And the uh, you know I, I got sober when I was young, eighteen, nineteen, and stayed sober for a minute. Uh, but where there's a grand departure, when your life fell apart, business failed, marriage failed, you didn't. I'm admiring your stick to and your tenacity, and it certainly yielded positive results mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. I did not do that, so my you know my marriage falls apart, my business falls apart, and I just double down mm-hmm. on by using. Yeah, you know, I I did not go to more meetings. I did not call my sponsor more. Mm-hmm. I did not rely on any kind of practice of recovery and I paid the consequences for it. Mm. Yeah. But now you're also uniquely qualified to be able to help someone else who's doing the exact right. same thing. Yeah. I can yeah. draw from that. Absolutely. And Daniel, I, I actually wanted to go back to that as, as I guess I kind of finish up this part. So all of those things that that's all, you know, kind of the big picture elements of, of my story, but that spiritual growth and, and that, that uh, those painful times in recovery uh, you know, and um, getting there and all that stuff. Such a key part of that spiritual journey for me has been what you talked about is what I started with is hopefully being able to use some of my story to help others. Well, it is our mandate. It is our mandate. And the guys that, that I've had the opportunity to, to sponsor or work with and, um, you know, that, that's one side of it. And the guys that I sit in meetings with today, um, and I still go to a pretty good bit of meetings regularly and all that other kind of stuff, because you just use the word mandate. I believe to the core of my soul, Drew, that a big part of the mandate that I have, because I've been blessed so mightily too, is to pull the next guy into the lifeboat. 100%. That's not a, that's not a, oh, I get to do that or part of what I, that's the deal. Right. I, I believe anyway. And, and I know um, those are absolutely the greatest rewards that I have had, you know, tied to my recovery and some of the most painful things, you know, because guys, I've been around. I was talking some to of your sponsees have yeah, died. I have. I was just yeah. about to say that. I was just talking to a, a, a good recovery buddy about this the other day. And man, I've been to an awful lot of recovery related funerals. Um, now, I've been to a lot of those too that were guys that guys and gals, I, I just say that as a general term, but guys that that died sober 
and lived it all the way through. And I don't mean like one or two. I've got like this huge list of them. And that's really, really cool that I've been around long enough to have been to a bunch of funerals of these guys that now they weren't all the most whatever, you know, worldly, financially successful or the whatever, but man, they 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 died sober doing the deal. And their funeral was filled with people who they had impacted their lives and their recovery. And man, you wanna at both ends of the spectrum are, are inspirational, right? right? That I'm like that. Dude, if my funeral's anything like that, I I have I have done some of what mission I was accomplished. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know the 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 uh, the ones that have relapsed and that died from this horrible, uh, permanent, quiet, ugly disease that I have, and that have died from that. And those are those are awful funerals too. Right. You know, um, so, yeah, so, man, um, so good stuff. I'm, I'm, uh, man, I'm in so many ways, and and it's cool, uh, and you guys get to experience this because you're doing this podcast, is witness people um, like me that get to share that. And when I do get to share all that, it really makes it profound how incredibly blessed I am because – I don't want to sit here and paint that picture and not also say, um, man, I battle, you know, the kind of stuff we all battle. Procrastination is an awful one for me and all these other kind of things. And I've got so that shelf level of battles that I do too, but I've got that, um, and you talked about, I didn't have a lot of childhood trauma and all that other kind of stuff, but man, I've been around for 54 years now and, and uh, been around recovery that long and, and, had some of that stuff that I've mentioned happened in my life. So I got, but I got buckets of trauma. Life gets lifey. Yeah. Life gets lifey. Um, You've co- had your feelings yeah. hurt. Co- <laughs> I've had my feelings. I've had my toes stomped on. Codependency has been, and in some ways is still a significant, very significant battle for me. You know, um, stuff years ago, I went to onsite for, and done, I mean, I've done some digging in really hard work on that. And it's still a work in progress and probably always will be. And, um, you know, I mentioned you got, when I walked in the room, you were like, hey, is that a pager on your belt? It, it's hilarious. I get asked that. Now, when was the last time you saw somebody with a pager? Yeah. Dude, it was like I, I know, was 15, 20 same. years ago. You yeah. know what you should really do? You should paint it like a pager. I know. Just, to, yeah. just for giggles. It kind of it kind of looks like it. Yeah. But, um, but I was like, no, it's, it's, it's an insulin pump. And I was diagnosed with juvenile type 1 diabetes. Um, at 25 years older, uh, uh, old. So I was two years sober and, and shared with you when you asked that question that flipped, how old is your daughter? Uh, she's 23. Okay. Yeah. So flip those things around and you know, the, my diabetes diagnosis, have my pancreas quit T cells, quit producing insulin, you know, I'm, I'm insulin dependent. So, um, not, not like questionable. Like if I have no insulin for two days, I'm dead kind right. of, kind of deal. Um, and if, if that had happened the other way around, I, dude, I wouldn't have made it a week. Right. So, you know, and so I, I live with, and, and I know this sounds almost stupid to maybe some people to hear me say, but I live with the gift of two relentless uh, 
difficult diseases that are chronic and that they've made a lot of a lot of progress in the diabetes field and what this pump does is unbelievable and all that, but it's still there. Both of them must be tended to daily. Daily. Right. Absolutely. So with catastrophic consequences. Yeah, exactly. So I view, I view them very much in parallel guys with that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't take my insulin, manage my blood sugars. I pay the consequences short term and longer term. It'll kill me unapologetically. It will, it will take parts of my body and it will do those things. And, and, and there may come days where it does that no matter how hard I work on it, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to kick those days far down the road as I can. Okay. Um, my recovery is exactly the same thing to the T. Yeah. One of you just alluded to that. I take my medicine or it's going to get me. Right. You know, I don't know how many people I have seen relapse in the 31 years I've had of recovery. That's a lot. We talked about it. I've been to an awful lot of funerals, all that other kind of stuff. Um, that bear, literally, that that dark killer grizzly bear is still inside of me. Let me tell you a quick crazy story. My wife and I are having coffee this morning. Y'all, she had a using dream about me. That you fell she, off the wagon? Yeah. She was like, yeah, we were somewhere. We were, she was like, I can't even remember what we were doing. You know, we, we were this and you were like, it, it's okay. It's been so long. It's not a big deal. I can have a drink. Wow. You know, and I've got so many great recovery friends and, 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 um, and, and I've got this other group of guys that is, is a group that I go uh, fly fishing with every year. And none of them are in recoveries. My brother and a bunch of other guys too. And, uh, man, we've gotten to be, it's a, it's, it's a spiritual brotherhood. It's all this other kind of stuff. And, um, and we love fly fishing too. Um, but I was in a boat with two of those guys in July, a couple months ago, and they are unbelievably supportive and cheerleaders of my recovery, but don't fully understand all of it. And that's okay. And, and they shouldn't sure, or, or maybe not have that. But so they were asking me, you know, some of these things, what is, you know, what, what happened that was, you know, so bad you had to go to treatment and get some, you know, and, and, and kind of told them some of the rest of that as well. Um, but, but they got the question and you guys know what's coming next. Why, why do you still go to those meetings? This wasn't a criticism. This was just a, this was profound curiosity. Genuine curiosity. Yeah, genuine curiosity. Why do you still go to those meetings? And I said, well, I've got two answers to that. One is, um, that bear still lives inside of me. If I, I, and I told them, I said, guys, sitting around the fire tonight, hanging out, doing our thing, I can have a couple of beers, you know, and I, y'all, y'all, they bring some fine whiskey, you know, and some other stuff. And I'm like, I, I could, I could have some of that and really enjoy it. And tomorrow night, I could probably do it again, all that other kind of stuff. TikTok. Now, now you got right, it, baby. Right, TikTok. Right. Now, give, give me, I don't know. That's what's really scary. Maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year. Maybe it's really bad. This marriage of mine, gone, unraveled. This career that I've built, gone, unraveled. This relationship with my daughter, these great friends. Dude, I mean, and I can I can play that tape through, and I can almost draw it out for you. It's ugly. Because I get, after a few days of a few drinks, I get to, I don't give a shit. And then, 
you know, I start introducing other stuff, and I said, you know, man, that snowball. Look, I've read yeah. this book. <laughs> right, right, right. I know right, what right. We, we, and, and that's so what's, what's it's, cool. It's just yeah. fine, and then life is going to happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're going to have – it's going to be such an uncanny situation. You will think, surely the devil himself planned this because you're going to have a horrible day, and you're going to bump into that person mm. – that's got that thing. You got it. And you will be amazed at how quickly your life will disintegrate. Yeah. And, and, and Drew, there's been a lot of stuff that's kind of come out, um, so to speak, since I got sober. Now, I mean, you know. Oh, look, dude, that weed they look, got now is something yeah, else, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. But it's not just that. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was one of those that in the bars and guy would hand me a handful of pills and was like, hey, man, these are fun. Awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't care anymore. Say less, friend. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> there's stuff in my face real quick. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, They've got pill presses and fentanyl now. Exactly. So, you know, me landing on top of that bad boy pretty quick, it's probably going to happen. You know, if, if I go that route. So even, you know, even that thought, guys, so why do I still go to meetings? It's because um, that barrel is inside of me, number one. And number two is I get the opportunity to be a part of pulling that next guy into the boat. Right. That People who aren't in recovery gen, genuinely, like, I've, like you said, these, these aren't uncaring people, like giving me shit or ribbing me or whatever. I've been at, well, I mean, so you're going to start drinking wine now? Right. Or, and I have to tell them, look, we, we, we needn't open Pandora's box because whatever it is. It'll get real, real quick. Whatever it is that people have that keep them from making those horrible mistakes, I don't have that thing. My filter doesn't work. I don't have the, you know, because... I am going to get something that I can shoot up, period, the end. I mean, it, you know, yep. we don't need to make it any more likely to use drugs or alcohol, you know. A hundred percent. What One of the things that I really, really love about um, you coming in here today was that it was when you, when you kind of turned around and walked into the studio, the first thing that I saw was that, that insulin pump and we've touched on it a couple times, but the more that I'm sitting here thinking about this, um, that's a, that's a, a beautiful metaphor for I my, agree. for I my recovery. Agree. I, I go to a zoom meeting every morning on the way to work. It's a zoom meeting in Dallas where I first got sober, uh, the Preston group and every morning from seven 30 to eight 30, that is my insulin pump. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is on my side every day. And if I do not take that with me, my day is going to be, at the very best, a lot more difficult. And at the very worst, shit's going to get real quick, um, real, real quick. And so I I, um, I think that, that that insulin pump is is a beautiful metaphor, and chances are I'll probably use that in a meeting one time. But. Oh, I've already added it to my brick wall. Let me make it. Yeah, yeah. My, my home group probably rolls their eyes when they hear me because I use it all. I, I use it. Here he goes again. Mr. Met Foreman. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, but it is. Yeah. It is. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a beautiful illustration of, of, of what it takes in order for me to be happy and healthy. And that's, that's having that pump on my side, that, 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 
spiritual program of action that that I have is is on my belt. And if I don't if I don't use it, I'm gonna pay the consequences. Um, I may not die tomorrow, but I could die. I, I give myself four days in active addiction before maybe three days before. It all goes to shit. Your spiritual blood sugar's too high, right? Right, and and or too low, I guess. Things are going to get real nasty real quick. Well, look. So I had, I used to have these stock questions to ask people, but two of my favorites I hang on to without needing to cheat sheet. All right. What do you do poorly in your recovery? Give credit um, to things. What I mean by that is, um, I think as part of my traumatic stuff that's happened in my life, I perpetually wait on the other shoe to drop, even when things are good. Um, that is not gratitude's not dialed up far enough. Other things, but that that's drew one of my biggest battles i i do that i do that poorly yeah all right so we can pivot away from these on a higher note what do you do well in your recovery somehow it was god at work but but very early not far behind that willingness letter I grasp on to doing, being willing to do whatever it takes, going to any length. I believe that I am willing to do that right now, today. Everything in life comes unraveled, whatever, you know, stuff happens and all that. Um, I will probably wear my sponsor out, double up on meetings, spend more time on devotional time, do all the, you know, just, just the, the, the one, two, three, um, not just steps, but the things that work, um, to, to do those through. And as I said, you know, at, at some of the most difficult times in recovery, that has been my knee jerk reaction is to do that work no matter what. Um, I'll say this real quick. Um, David Q from my home group used to talk all the time about the fact that I can't necessarily control my thoughts or my feelings, but I am entirely responsible for my actions. Amen. Yeah. That to me is, 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 but my kids and my stepkids and my wife, bless them, you know, all these, because it, that they know that's one of my mantras. It is about action. It does not matter how I feel. So regardless of life on life's turns and things happening, so I think answering your question, Drew, that is I, I am willing to do the actions that it takes no matter what's going on and no matter how I feel. And, um, again, that's not me. I believe that's God giving me the strength to walk that out. 100%. Most one, of the time, but that's it. Yeah, one thing that I just want to touch on that, one of the most profound statements that I've ever heard in my life was, uh, spoken by a guy, Paul T., and at, at that Preston group in Dallas. He said, my biggest problem today is not my biggest problem. My biggest problem today is how I react to my biggest problem. And I thought that was really, really, I, I think about that just about every day. Great one. It's spot on. 
Yeah. Yep. So we're uh we are just about out of time. Drew, is there anything else that you wanted to to ask Chris while we've got him here? No, uh we hit hit all the highlights. I'm sitting here listening to you. I realize just how much I like talking to people in recovery. Mm. It really is. I was just thinking the same thing. Some days that, you know, some podcasts it's 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 not a stretch to talk to people by any means and I and I love every aspect of it, but some guests are just I just feel like the podcast goes a lot more smoothly and I feel like as a result of us being able to form meaningful connections within here that the maximum amount of people on the outside listening and viewing to this now and in the future will, uh, it, it will increase a great deal. And I feel like today was one of those episodes where I feel like a lot of stuff that was said is going to be helpful to a lot of people. And I just, I it's certainly helpful to me. Yeah, the, absolutely. The analogy between diabetes and addiction. It's that, beautiful. It's I absolutely beautiful. added that to my brick wall of meaning. Yeah. So I love it. Well, Chris, thank you so much thank for joining you, us, man. You've been, you've been incredible. Absolutely. Um, and we're super, super grateful. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, for downloading. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks a lot, guys. And